Hey there, and welcome to your weekly episode of I Didn't Sign Up For This with Allison Casanova and myself, Jade Shaw. We are both licensed marriage and family therapists here in the Bay Area of California. Whether you're a practitioner yourself or just interested in topics around mental health and therapy, join us here for some real and honest conversations. Please note that this podcast is not a replacement for therapy or medical advice. Any questions about your specific situation should be directed to your own therapist or primary care physician. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody. We are here for episode five. Today, we are talking about grief and loss, the different types of loss, how to cope and how to support. So we chose this topic because grief and loss is something that so many people experience so often. And I have found in my interaction with clients, with friends, with family, that not a lot of people actually know sort of what to expect or they sort of judge themselves for where they're at in the process. And then alongside that, people don't always know how to support other people who are going through that experience or that loss. So we thought that this would be a really important topic to address and kind of enlighten people a little bit more on what the process can look like and how you can support somebody who is going through that process. So let's start off with what you would normally think of when you think of grief and loss. So normally, I think the the most understood idea is the death of of a loved one, a friend, a pet, somebody that is really close to you that is no longer here. That is normally the broad understanding of grief and loss when somebody first talks about it. And that's probably what most of the people listening are thinking about when we bring this topic up. Obviously, all three of those are going to be very, very different, right? I think, too, one of the things that we talked about discussing in this episode was the idea of the expected loss of somebody that you're close to versus the unexpected loss and how those are similar and how they are a little bit different. You know, obviously, I think in most cases, it's still difficult in either situation, but in terms of sort of that lead up to it that can look different, right? So a lot of people sort of express that if you expect it, you know, maybe that's harder for some people because you do have this sort of on your mind for a long time and you're kind of trying to prepare for it and sort of waiting for it, but there's no real preparing for that actual loss. Whereas on the other side of the coin, some people might say that it's, you know, more difficult with that unexpected loss because you weren't prepared for it. You didn't have time to sort of, you know, wrap your head around the idea that it was potentially coming. Yeah, I agree. There is no amount of preparation that is going to make losing somebody easy. Mm -hmm. But for some people, when you have this idea that you know they're not going to be here anymore, it gives them some time to say goodbye and to process that with the person. Sometimes that's harder Mm -hmm. than if it just suddenly happened. But overall, when I've heard both sides, having it be totally unexpected can sometimes be more overwhelming because it was a shock and there's no closure. Mm -hmm. You can't, there is that, you know, I wanted to say X, Y, and Z and I didn't get to say X, Y, and Z. And that can be, it's already a hard process, but that adds just so much more to the situation than was already there before. 
Yeah, absolutely. And again, I'm glad that you said that, that no amount of preparation is going to make the loss easy, right? It's just the different experiences that people have. The other thing I hear too is, you know, it's been like six months or it's been a year. It's been like five years. So is this ever going to get easier? Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it makes me think of that phrase, you know, time heals everything. Man, mm. I used to hate it when people would tell me that when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that everybody listening can relate to that too, especially when you're talking about a loved one. It does not make it easier. No amount of time ever going by makes losing someone easy. It's always going to be sad. But the more that you are going through your life and the more time that passes, the more able you are to manage your life without that person and the more it then becomes a part of your life. So it's not as intense, but I, I don't think anybody in this world would lose their grandma or grandpa or friend or parent or a child and then 10 years later think, yeah, you know, this is easy now. No, it's, you're always going to look back on it. It's always going to be sad. It just doesn't hit you the same way as it does when it initially happens. Mm-hmm. Not easy, but you sort of learn to cope in a different way and adjust your life in a different way. I think that, you know, and we'll get into this a little bit more in terms of how to cope and how to support because you bring up another good point. Like there are things that I think people say that mm-hmm. are very well-intentioned, but aren't always super helpful or accurate, really. And they're not received very well either. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's sort of a topic within this that I'm kind of excited to get into. So before I get too ahead of myself, we also wanted to talk about the idea of the death or the loss of the ideal parent, the ideal self, the ideal friend. So when we talk about this, we are not talking about the physical death or the physical loss of these people, but the idea that we all take parents, for example, we sort of see our parents in a certain light generally. And then over time, we learn that they are human. They make mistakes. They are not perfect. And so we sort of have to readjust how we view these people and how we interact with them with this new sort of understanding of who they are. And same goes for how we view ourselves. You know, a lot of people have sort of timelines that they want to live by or who they see themselves becoming. And then sometimes reality hits and we realize that we aren't the ideal person that we thought we should be. You know, we make mistakes. We aren't perfect. And so really just grieving that loss of that ideal parent, that ideal self, that ideal friend, and coming to terms with the reality of those changes. And I think that that is something that is often underestimated. And I talk to my clients quite a bit about this in readjusting and learning who people really are and how you can cope with that. Yeah, this is one I I believe is often overlooked when you're thinking about grief and loss. Mm -hmm. We can have this idea of what kind of friend we want or what kind of parent we want. And there are going to be moments where we're disappointed. And this is especially big for people who have had 
maybe more rocky relationships with their parents and really not getting what they do need and then recognizing what it is that they would have wanted to have that's really hard because then how do you move past that and still have a relationship with them can you even have a relationship with them and that's kind of circling back to the boundaries episode so I won't get I won't won't go more into that (laughs) but this idea of how you want people to be and how you need them to be and what the reality really is. Yeah, that's a good point too, how you need them to be. That is, that's really big in terms of talking about stages of life. And even when dealing with the physical death of somebody, how you need those around you to be. And that idea of, you know, I think we talked a little bit about this in, maybe it was the last episode, about how you sort of need certain people to be there for you and you know for example when you lose a parent you sort of realize that certain friends might not be able to be there for you in the way that you need and aren't really supporting you in that ideal way that you thought that they might and so how you wrap your head around that too there's just so much that gets wrapped up in this I think for me I think the ideal self the loss of the ideal self is a big one because that's something that we're constantly adjusting as we go through these life stages and again after you physically lose somebody whether it's a parent a sibling a friend how you have to sort of readjust your life and almost take on a new role in in your own life in order to cope with that Mm -hmm. and for people who are listening where this is maybe the first first holiday that you are experiencing without them. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps it's the second, but it's still really difficult. The, the holidays, I think, are maybe one of the most difficult things to come up when you are missing somebody that you've lost, primarily because you shared it with them and now they're not here. So it, it, for the, for some, for some people, it's just another reminder that they're not here anymore. And that's tough. It is really tough, especially if they, they were maybe more of a bigger part of that celebration. So for example, a friend that maybe you saw every once in a while versus maybe somebody who lived with you or somebody who shared a really big part of that celebration. Maybe just it was that tradition that they were always there. So that that is really difficult. What do you what do you do in that situation? Yeah, that question itself, what do you do in that situation? I feel like that just brings up so many thoughts for me because I mean, this is something that's even hard to say. There's not one thing that is going to make it all better, right? And I think mm-hmm. that's as a therapist even that is difficult when you know you are sitting with a client say and they're mourning the loss of somebody and there's nothing great to say right that that pain will still be there until they sort of make their way through that cycle and get to a place where they've adjusted so we can maybe get a little bit more into that when we're talking about how to cope, but that's a really good segue into the grief cycle. Mm-hmm. So there is this big debate around this grief cycle and if, if it even exists and this different stages and if it should only be applied to if you're the one that's dying or if the people around you are the for the people that are watching it happen. And I 
I believe in order to know what we're talking about, let me just let me just dive right in. So the, there's five stages. So the first stage is denial. And that's obvious, that, right? Like, did this really happen? I'm not going to believe that this happened. Then we have the second stage, and that's anger. And then the third stage is bargaining. So that's when you're asking yourself questions like, would it have had a different outcome if I would have just done X, Y, and Z? And then the fourth stage is depression. And then the fifth stage is acceptance. So you've accepted that this has happened. And so the one of the big things I hear the controversy is, for, for one, it, is there really only five stages? And why do they have to be applied across the board to everybody? Everybody's situation is very different and unique. So why does it have to be that way? And why does it have to go in order? Well, it doesn't, right? It doesn't have to go in order. I think whoever you are, you're going to be experiencing all of those different feelings. And sometimes you're going to have them all at the same time. Sometimes you're going to have one and then the next and then the next and then the next and then you're going to do it all over again so there is no there is no actual process it's going to be different for everybody but they're all normal feelings that come up so for some people it starts with denial and it ends with acceptance and then the middle is just this big hodgepodge of all kinds of feelings and emotions and thoughts and experiences for some people it starts with anger and then it goes to depression, and then it goes to denial, and it just kind of factors in in a really different way. So it, it just kind of depends on who you are, and there might be other feelings that come up that aren't even included in that. And so in that respect, the stages don't really exist, right? Because, because it's just you're experiencing them all. But I think the thing to remember is that all of those things do come up for most people at some point, and they're all really normal. If you're having a hard time, that's pretty standard when you're when you're losing somebody that you really care about. That's just part of being human. You're gonna have those emotions. Yeah, and I often give this to clients as just a reference guide because I think that, you know, whether it is the physical loss of somebody or that situational loss that we talked about in terms of the ideal self or parent. This is kind of a reference for normalizing those feelings and just saying, hey, I imagine this whole situation just feels like you're sort of floating in in an abyss of awful feelings. And so here's some stages that you can expect and that these are normal. And like you said, you know, you kind of bounce back and forth between each of these stages and you know one stage could last for a couple minutes before you go on to the next one and then back and there's a lot of variation in how people experience this but I do think that this cycle can be applied to so many different things even outside of grief and loss just transitions in general I think we experience a lot of these things but a lot of the people that I have given this cycle to have found it really really helpful in being able to ground themselves and reference these five stages and understand that okay yeah I'm not going crazy I might feel really depressed one day and then I might feel angry the next day and just going back and forth between these different stages The other emotion that comes up a lot that's not in this outline of feelings is fear. 
Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. For for a lot of people who know they're going to lose somebody, mm-hmm. maybe they have cancer or maybe they have some other illness that's pretty serious and they they know them that they're just they're not going to be here anymore. Whether you are the person experiencing it or the, the person outside that's experiencing losing that person, that fear is huge because you don't know what's going to happen. And it is really scary. And that is some that is something I think that should be included. But I think just the the takeaway from this is knowing that there is no wrong way to feel. And you can feel several things at the same time or during a period of a day several different times. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people really are aware of when it's happening and then they think that there's something wrong with them when there's really not. Yeah, for a lot of people, there is a lot of judgment about how they handle these losses and gosh, putting a timeline on it too, right? You know, I think the the DSM used to do that, like give you sort of a two-week bereavement period and that was just absolutely absurd to me that, you know, two weeks, goodness gracious, some people can't get over a bad haircut in two weeks, so... (laughs) (laughs) That's just ridiculous. But point being, there's no definitive timeline for how you should handle this. And even when I say how you should handle it, like, gosh, is there even one way that you should be handling it? No, not really. It's just a different experience for everybody. There's maybe a a guideline that's pretty similar across the board for some for most people but there's always going to be outlier feelings or experiences or different things that are maybe more unique to someone that that aren't being covered just because everybody is so different Mm -hmm. yeah i think this bridges us really well into the ideas of how to cope and you know i think that the grief cycle is it's been a big part of like i said the resources that i give clients and so one of the things that i would suggest is remembering that your experience is normal you know you might talk to friends or other family members and they might have a completely different experience but that doesn't mean that your experience is not normal there is somebody out there who would likely respond in the the same way or similar way. Yeah. And I think giving yourself permission to feel what you're feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot easier said than done and judging ourselves comes pretty naturally most of the time, but it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. So giving yourself permission to feel that way, I think is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to what we were just talking about in terms of this timeline, you know, try not to rush yourself through the process. Give yourself time. Don't feel like you need to pick up and start living your life exactly how it was before, you know, a couple days after the loss. It's okay to not go outside for a few days and and to just keep to yourself, take care of yourself for a little bit. Some people want to go back to work right away Mm -hmm. or go to school right away. And I think if you're ready to go back, that's one thing. But if you're wanting to go back just because you're wanting to get back into your schedule your routine and you want to be distracted there might be other ways that are going to be more supportive in giving you that distraction rather than trying to go back full force and use your brain to the fullest that you would normally be using it just because you might feel like you're okay one minute and then you're there and it's just really overwhelming and it's just maybe it was not 
it's not the place that you need to be at that moment. So that, I mean, that might happen along the way, but it, if you're not 100% ready, it might be better to just give yourself the space to not go back and to get the distraction in maybe a more supportive way through maybe friends or something, some family or something like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I said, take time and listen to yourself. Listen to your body. When you're ready to try going outside, great. Try going outside and you might find like, hey, this did not go the way that I wanted it to. I need a little bit more time and that's totally fine. But listen to yourself. Something that's coming up for me while you're talking to that we didn't mention is this could also be related to the loss of a relationship. Like Mm -hmm. if you are in a divorce. Mm Mm-hmm. Or in a breakup, I mean, you really do have this, especially if you were with that person for a very long time, it it is a loss. It's a huge loss. Yeah, there's, and this is why I love that, at least for me, the grief cycle can be applied to so many different situations, right? Because I just feel that any sort of like big transition or change can be considered a loss, right? It's not going to always feel the same as losing a parent or a sibling right that like human connection that is going to be a different type of loss but yes any sort of like change or transition i think is going to feel in some ways like a loss of that lifestyle that you're used to and for some people maybe just taking a day off is enough but depending on what it is and how big of a loss it is you may need to take more time off there are some times when People take several months off and that's okay. It's kind of just checking and seeing where you are during the whole process. Yeah, yeah. And on that note, I think it's sort of important to also be mindful of how much you're taking care of yourself in, you know, if you're going to stay inside and take care of yourself, differentiating that between isolating because I think that can get into sort of a kind of a slippery slope. Yes, and I'm glad that you brought that up because sometimes, you know, you just don't want to be around people and you want to be at home and giving yourself that space. But when it starts to to become several days of not being around anybody and people are calling you and trying to get a hold of you, I think that's where that line is. Making sure that you're getting up and you're eating. I get that sometimes that's really challenging to do, especially if it was a really huge loss and you might not want to get up and do it. And that's fine. But if it starts to to turn into days of not eating, then you're not getting what your body needs in order to have the energy even to deal with any of the loss that's going on. So it, a lot easier said than done I know and I know that eating habits and and sleeping habits change drastically around uh, losing somebody that you care about but it is important to make sure that you're getting something yeah and I think that's so important too because sleep is much harder to control for a lot of people especially in a time like this so if you can you know even get some soup down or something to yeah, keep that energy up. I think when we're sort of depriving ourselves of food and sleep, that's kind of a dangerous place to go. So finding areas that you can still control and taking advantage of those. So the motivation to 
that motivation and drive to take care of yourself may not be there and that's okay but it's also important to recognize that making sure you're giving yourself something so that you can continue to function is going to be really important because it could and the, the one of the big reasons it's important is because it can really it can change how intense what you're feeling is so if you're already angry i mean Hanger is a thing. So if you're not eating on top of already being angry and you have really good reasons to be angry, now you're adding on that part. So you're going to be, it's just going to be five times more intense. And I don't know if you are somebody who maybe gets affected when you're not getting any sleep in a, in a way where maybe you're more sad or more, um, upset or angry, that's also going to get amplified. So it's just whatever you're feeling is going to just get more amplified when you're not taking care of yourself. And again, I know it's so much easier said than done, but just keeping that in mind is, is it, you know, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, it's been, it's been like six hours since I've eaten something. So maybe I should try to just whatever is in the house, maybe just try and and, and get it. So, so if you're a parent and you have other responsibilities because you have other, other people now that you're taking care of, and it's really hard to do that, making sure that you're getting the help that you need, because it might be too much for you to, to even take care of yourself, let alone someone else. So, so in order to have that happen, maybe get support from other people around you so that it's not as overwhelming. That brings me to another thought that I had in terms of allowing people to help you. I think sometimes it can be really overwhelming if a lot of people are trying to help you. And on the flip side, some people don't have as many people supporting them. But being able to sort of pick out a couple people that you can count on and allowing them to be there with you or bring food over to you or pick the kids up from school or, you know, stop by and watch a TV show with you or something. Just trying to allow those people to support you. And it might not be something that you do right away, Mm -hmm. but when it feels appropriate, if you're wanting to do things to celebrate them, Uh because they're not just because this person isn't in your life anymore. And this is maybe more specific to losing somebody, not, not maybe, not maybe like a situation, but, but actually losing somebody. You want to remember them. And I know something that I hear oftentimes is I don't want to forget them and I'm scared that I'm going to forget them. Mm -hmm. So doing something to celebrate them, you know, making their favorite food, making a photo album and making sure you're recording all of the memories, stuff like that helps you hold on to them and it helps you feel connected to them even though they're not here anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, Those are other really great skills or things to do to sort of help you through this process, making a scrapbook, a photo album, journaling thoughts, your emotions, your memories of them, creating different ways of remembering them. I think that creates a really good outlet for a lot of people while simultaneously allowing them to sort of not forget and something that you can keep and cherish and remember them by. Now, of course, if this is more situational or if it's 
you know, like a divorce, it's probably not something that you're going to want to do. But there are things that you can do, though, in those situations that are maybe a little bit different, but still help and journaling is definitely one of them. Sometimes just maybe like writing it out um, helps you process it a different way when you don't feel like you can talk to somebody about it. And sometimes it's just so jumbled in your head, you don't even know what it is that you're thinking or feeling. So getting it out can be really a useful tool to be able to just know exactly what's going on in your head. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That, again, brings me to another thought that I had. Um, I often will refer people to support groups you know, when you're ready to go outside um, or when you're ready to take that step. I think support groups can be really helpful. Even if you don't talk, to just listen to other people's experiences might help normalize your experience and remind you that you're not alone, that other people do understand that process. Even if they don't understand your specific experience, I think it could be really helpful to be around people who have experienced a similar loss. Yeah, there's unity and connection mm-hmm. when you feel like somebody gets where you're coming from. It, there's there's a different a different understanding that comes with that, a different kind of support that you get from knowing that someone has been in a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Support groups are all really good. Yeah, definitely. I think we will list out some of these things that we've talked about too because we've thrown out a lot of them. So in the show notes, we will list these ideas that we've tossed out there. They'll be a little bit easier to reference. So let's move on to supporting somebody and how you can help somebody when they have experienced a loss. I think sometimes it can be really, really hard to know what to say in those situations because it's nothing you're going to be able to, to say or do is going to fix the situation. And so often that's what we want to do is we want to make someone feel better. We want to take away the pain, but remembering that you're not going to be able to do that in this situation. And it's more about being there with them so that they're not doing it alone. So making sure that you're present and that you're available. You're not always going to be available 100% of the time, but making sure that you give that, that time to the person without without trying to solve the problem, just kind of being there and listening. Yeah, I think honesty really goes a long way. Yes. In the feedback that I've gotten from other people, it's been less helpful to hear somebody say something like, they're in a better place, or time heals all wounds, versus something like, you know, I really wish I had something great to say and I just I don't know what to say right now I'm so sorry Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that genuine communication goes a long way and feels more genuine which is more helpful Mm -hmm. yeah avoid cliches because I think I think it sends the message for what I've heard from people that they're going to forget the person and that that person is okay now. And it's okay that they're not there anymore. And that's not necessarily the message that I think you're trying to send. Mm-hmm. So being honest is really important, I think. So one of the things that I hear is, you know, I, I actually appreciate when someone says, I don't know what to say. And yeah. I wish I could say something that would would make you feel better, but I don't. Because that's honest. That's That's just 
that's being real and that sometimes means a lot more to somebody than trying to come up with something to say that is going to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a de- tender, delicate topic that I think people get really nervous and just sort of say those cliches that mm-hmm. sound nice. Um, and I think most people understand that you're well-intentioned, um, but just to be aware of how that's coming across. And, you know, I realize that we've talked a lot about loss in this podcast, and I've also heard people say, like, I hate when people say, I'm sorry for your loss. They're like, I didn't lose my keys. I didn't lose my wallet. My husband died. You know, there's probably so many different ways to address it because somebody who takes one thing personally, another person will find really helpful. Um, So I think it's also about knowing who you're talking to and understanding how they feel supported. But in general, I think it's safe to say, try and avoid the cliches and be genuine. If you don't know what to say, go with, I'm so sorry, I don't know what to say. How can I help? How can I, how can I support you? You know, I don't think it's ever bad to ask, how can I be there for you? And be patient because they might not know. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they might just have no idea on where to start because what they really want is for you to make that person come back. And yeah. So everyone's going to be different. And I, I think, too, making sure that you're giving somebody the understanding. You might say something, like you might call them up, leave them a message. You might text message them, and they may not return your text mm. message or your, your call. And it's not because they don't want to. They're just, they don't want to talk. They're just so sad. So understanding that that might be the case and not not take it personal I think is what I'm what I was going for so making sure that you're persistent and you're continuing to reach out because they're not going to in my experience and I think everyone is different but they're not going to get upset if you're continuing just to kind of just say hey I'm thinking about you or hey I'm you know I I'm going to be picking up some food you I'm gonna just I'm gonna stop by and bring it over one thing that I have heard is not not asking questions like what is it that you need because they're they're just not in a place to think um so that is a really hard question I know it's something that a lot of it's it's a a go-to question to ask and you can totally ask it but just don't be surprised if they don't they don't know because it is a lot yeah that's a good point you know, I think it's okay to check in, but to be patient with where they're at in the process. And um, like you mentioned earlier, self-care really might not be at the top of their priority list. And so they might not know what they need, but just saying, if you come up with anything that you need, don't hesitate to let me know. The other thing I think that I hear a lot is stop asking me how I'm doing because I'm obviously not doing very well. Mm -hmm. Um, That I think is a really common one. And I think it's a default, right? We want to know how the person is doing. So maybe instead of asking how they're doing, asking something like, how are you holding up? How are you managing? Mm -hmm. Or is to, how is today doing? Like how, how is, how, how are you right this second with what is going on? Because it might be different from day to day. So kind of just being aware. I know it's hard because it's 
it's almost like you're walking on eggshells sometimes. How, what do I say? How do I help them? I don't want to say the wrong thing. So something that I hear a lot of is that people just, they just disappear mm-hmm. because they don't know what to say. And then the other person who's needing the support feels like they're not getting what they're needing from them. Or they'll get the other one that I hear is they give a response that's, that's totally the wrong thing. Like, I know exactly how you feel. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is something, no matter what the loss is, to try and avoid because you don't know exactly how someone feels. No one does. No one ever knows exactly how somebody else feels. You might have an idea because you've been through a similar situation, but everybody is different. So Mm -hmm. you can say something like, you know, oh, that sounds really tough. I've been in a similar situation. Yeah, I think we've thrown out a lot of ideas of what to do and things to try and avoid. But I just to sort of recap, I think the idea is to continue treating them like a human being, be genuine, check in with them, and be patient. Those are really like the top to do's. And then my one avoid would be avoid the cliches. And the other thing I would avoid too is I know sometimes it's so hard to know what to say, so we want to just, like, change the subject. So okay. I'll hear, that does suck. So did you want to go do blah, 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 blah? <laughs> yes. I think that often gives the wrong <sighs> message, too. Yeah. I know it's hard. I know. I know. Because it's so uncomfortable to watch somebody be in pain and not be able to help them. Mm-hmm. But that gives the wrong message. So something that would maybe be more appropriate would be, that is really hard and I want to be here for you. Can I help distract you and we can do something else together? Because that I think is giving the message that you're trying to give. Yeah. And you know, even as a therapist, I got to say that sometimes I don't know what to say. You know, it is a really difficult situation and it's hard to not know the perfect thing to say. It's hard to know, like we said earlier, that the thing that you say won't make them feel all better, right? It won't make it all okay. You know, I just want to put that out there that even as a therapist, it's it's hard to navigate these things sometimes and to also be patient with yourself and know that as long as you're being genuine, you're probably doing okay. And it's okay if you make a mistake, right? And you say the wrong thing. Just make sure that you're acknowledging that Mm -hmm. and I want to also address some sort of misconceptions that are out there and this obviously isn't as common but just to realize that if somebody experiences the death of somebody they won't always 100% of the time feel these things that we've talked about it's possible for somebody to lose a loved one and for them to experience things like happiness it's not always a tragedy most often it is but you know i think just again from the sort of therapist perspective we don't know for sure what that person's relationship with that other person is and perhaps it's come as a relief and then there's guilt that can be associated with that relief so often Mm -hmm. because they feel bad that they're happy because they're they're happy that person's not in pain anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that kind of brings up a whole other 
process, I think. But, you know, I think you'll probably know the person that you're trying to support and have a better idea of what their situation is uh, in a way that we can't really understand from this podcast, obviously. But just to keep that in mind. Again, everybody's experience is different. And so that idea of continuing to treat them like a human and being genuine, I think that will be a safe bet. I agree. Yeah, just don't change the way that you're treating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And a last note that I wanted to make was to be aware of how you as a support person are being affected. We've talked about how it can be difficult to navigate this or to know how to support those people and to recognize where you are in that and also how you are relating to that or things that are coming up for you around that. Is it bringing anything up for you that might affect the way that you are interacting with other people or in your own relationships or in your own day-to-day? So just to be aware of what's coming up for you as a support person. So on that note, let's talk about a couple ways to provide some self-care for yourself. Let's talk about those quick and easy tips to bring some positivity to your life. Allison, what is your tip? So my tip, I think kind of relates to, to this in the sense of we really like to connect to people. That's just part of human nature. We like to connect. And one thing that is really easy for people to connect on and something that they connect more often on is shared negative experiences. So, you know, you're at the the water cooler at work and you're talking about how horrible that meeting was and how you're really mad at your boss. I think those are things that we tend to focus more on. And while it's nice to be able to, to relate to somebody in that way and they really get where you're coming from, if we focus so much on that, that then becomes part of the only thing that we can relate and connect with people on. And it kind of just changes the way that you look at stuff. And it make, makes it so you're only ever able to look at that that part that's difficult. Mm-hmm. So if you can pick maybe one or two times during, during the week to start where you're trying to actively connect with somebody on a different level. So instead of focusing on something that was really bad or really hard or really just something you just did not like, look at something that maybe has a little bit different, a different tone to just see if, if changing that thing that you're connecting on with somebody, like maybe it was a fun a fun experience. You guys both went to Disneyland. How, you know, how was that? Um, or you guys both like, you know, going to this particular gym. How was your experience there? See how that changes the way that your mood is on a day-to-day basis when you start doing a little bit more. Yeah. Interact with people based around something more positive. I like that. Mine is to whether it's on the way to work or on the way home from work or both, listen to some music that makes you feel good. Something that uplifts your mood and boosts your spirits. A lot of times 
I think people listen to the news, they listen to podcasts, they listen to news talk radio, but I feel like listening to music that boosts your mood can really start your day off on the right foot, get you in a a good positive mindset, and then on the way home from work, I think it's a really good way to disconnect from the stresses of work and just be in the moment, have a little fun, get in that mindset of relaxing and enjoying your evening. Um, you know, maybe sing along or dance a little in the car, <laughs> but just to add that little pep to start your day off. And I will say I do this myself and I totally feel a difference. And I, within safety reasons, I have to say that, totally rock out in the car and (laughs) I don't care if people see me and I sort of think of it like hey if the person in the car next to me sees me and is laughing at me great I've added a little positivity to their day and you know if me being a total goof brightens their spirits and starts their day off on the right foot then go me so I really think that adding this little mood boosting music I think it's key it really does change the way that you feel. They have, and I don't know if if we want to make a link or not, but they have scientific evidence, research out there, if you will, that talks about the way that uh, music affects our brain activity and our mood mm-hmm. as a result. So it really does do something. So if you're wanting to listen to a song that even maybe has a positive memory related to it, like something that made you smile, super helpful. I agree with Jade. Yeah, do it. I expect to see all of you out there dancing in your cars on the way to work. (laughs) Okay, well, that is all we have for episode five. Again, thank you for joining us. And we hope you all have a fantastic week. And we will meet up with you again next Monday.